Welcome. Special welcome to you, our guests, and we're glad you're with us. My name is Steve White, Senior Minister here, and it's my privilege to be able to preach the Word of God this morning. Let's pray before we go on. Our Father in heaven, our delight is in the Lord. You have given us life and breath. Even for this very day, you have sustained us and sustained the world, the whole universe. It's all in your hands, and we are grateful that we get to understand a little more deeply who you are today. And so I pray that we receive your word with thanksgiving, with anticipation, and with the desire to be fully yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 40 is where we are today in our study of this, of this great uh, book that's a metaphor for our own lives. If you've ever received an email from Luke Proctor, you'll notice that his signature is three Latin words, soli deo, Gloria. In fact, why don't you all send him an email this week, then you can see it when he responds. That would be great. <laughs> Glory to God alone. He's not the first one to ever use such a signature as that. Both composers Bach and Handel closed many of their compositions with the three initials S-D-G, Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. It drives us to that sentence, that statement, that command of God by the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthian believers when he wrote, whether, you're eat, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That is a high and mighty challenge. We have been journeying with this people, God's people, as he is creating a new nation for himself that would reveal to all the nations of the world the greatness of of who he is, that they would have an opportunity to have a relationship with their creator. And so we've been with them from the time they were in slavery. God calls them out of slavery. He uses Moses as his own instrument to stand before Pharaoh to boldly demand their dismissal. They finally get out of slavery. They're moving to the land flowing with milk and honey, a land of rest, the promised land. We have been, we have been marked by seeing the splendor of God by the way he has provided for his people. He is creating for himself a chosen people, a people for his own possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that are different from all the other kinds of peoples in the world who worship only one God, who know this creator God, and who are following him. And yet we've been embarrassed by the contrast between this great God who by his grace has carried them like on eagle's wings out of slavery to freedom with the fickleness of his people that he's leading. They're, they whine. They want more. They're never satisfied. Nevertheless, God doesn't give up on them. He still has a plan for them. He has a future for them. He has something that he wants, to under, he wants them to understand about him. And he wants that of us as well. Now, for the, in the recent months in their journey, they have concerned themselves with following God's instructions of building the tabernacle. You were building loosely because this is a portable thing. You remember when Luke preached a few weeks ago, he gave a video uh, representation of what that the tabernacle was like. It was something that could be movable. It's portable through the wilderness wanderings that they were going to experience for about 40 years. It was to represent the presence of God, that God was with them and among them. And you remember in the center of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, in which was found the Ark of the Covenant, that, that, under, that, that unusual box uh, made of gold, covered with gold, 
uh, over which was cherubim. And only the high priest went in there once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Even Moses himself could not go in there. All for a reason. One-third of Exodus given to the tabernacle. Why? There's a simple reason for that. Because there's nothing more important than the worship of God. Your, your, Your and my reverence of him. Our being in awe of him. Our obedience to him. Our surrender to him. There's nothing more important than our worship of who God is. And all his glory and all his goodness and and graciousness to us. And so, the tabernacle is now complete. And we have these words recorded for us, beginning in verse 34 of Exodus 40. Then, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. What is this glory. It's Luke Proctor who outlines our texts for a series and gives them titles. So two months ago, when I saw that he assigned me God's glory, I was kind of ticked off. I was assigned this subject, the glory of God. I'm not qualified for this subject. I'm not a scholar. I, I, I am not, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm just a general guy. And I am so struck by the subject of the glory of God. And I'll try, to, I'll try in my lame way, an elementary way, to just express what I have learned in the journey. And maybe it can be helpful to you. This, such a subject calls for us to branch out from these few verses. Because the whole scripture is about the glory of God and spoken of in many ways. So I do my best. I trust that we can be challenged, all of us, to understand a little more clearly the glory of God and its significance in our, in our journey with Christ. We'll start with just the mystery of glory because it is mysterious, isn't it? We read this passage and we are just stunned by the scenery. I hope heaven is a movie. You know, I want to see a movie of history and Bible history and all this. I'd love to see that. It, it'd be, it, it would be uh, jaw-dropping, I'm sure. But I wonder what this was like to be here and see the glory of the Lord fill the temple. Now, earlier in Exodus 33, Moses asked God, show me your glory. God did not respond in thunder and lightning and earthquake and power and drama. What he said was, I will allow my goodness to pass by you. When Moses wanted to see glory, God said, if you want to understand my glory, you've got to get to my goodness. The most glorious thing about God is how very good he is. His kindness, his love, his mercy, his compassion, all that is about the glory of God. 
Three things I want you to understand about this glory. First of all, we were created for God's glory. You were created for God's glory. That's why you are created. And if you're trying to live your life outside of that one purpose, your life will never be fulfilling. Now, God wants us to be ambitious. He wants us to do well with our lives. He wants us to take our giftedness and apply them. But they are simply those things that are part of who we are. They're not the ultimate. The glory of God is the ultimate. And we have to learn this. It's a strange word. It's used sometimes out of theological circles, but not like a lot. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote. He wrote, glory suggests two ideas to me, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame, or it means luminosity. As for the first, since to be famous needs to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion, and therefore of hell rather than heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? According to scripture writers, the greatest truth about God is that he is glorious. The psalmist wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God, meaning the heavens themselves. Even if a person doesn't know God personally, the heavens declare the mystery of God, the creativity of God, the power of God, the beauty of God. The heavens declare, oh, we can't know everything about God from the heavens, but we can know something by the heavens. Glory is what makes God worthy of praise. There's glory in a sunrise in a sunset, and we talk about it, we point it out to somebody. There's glory in the beauty of a flower that blooms, or the aroma of that flower. There's, be there's beauty watching Serena Williams play at Wimbledon. When we see her make a certain play, and man, that was a beautiful shot, we say. They're all different kinds of beauty that we take in. Psalm 29 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's a natural response to being exposed to something of radiance and beauty. Have you ever stood, some of you, perhaps over the Mediterranean and been struck by the blueness of the water along the coastline? Or have you ever stepped out on that glass bridge at the Grand Canyon or into St. Peter's Cathedral or maybe been at Hilbert Theater and listened to one of Beethoven's works and you experience those places and those occasions and there are no words. You're so stunned that the only appropriate response immediately is silence. But eventually, you have to talk about it because something glorious calls for it. But speaking too quickly robs from its radiance and its glory. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you understand the tension that we experience in those kinds of places and occasions and times the glory of God is like that. It is radiant. It captures us. We are left breathless. But if we don't ever speak of it, then there is something wrong with our engagement with it, the glory of God. We were also created to experience God's glory. 
not just for God's glory. Now, this word glory in the Hebrew language is kabod, K-O-B-O-D, kabod, glory. I've taught before, the meaning of the word is basically weight. There's a weightiness to God. In other words, when we speak of the glory of God, we're speaking of something that is overwhelming to us, that we cannot bear and take in completely as the creature before the creator. It's, it's that weighty. But it's two-dimensional. It's the other way as well. Because God himself, being a glorious God, is the only one qualified to bear the weightiness of the significance of life. And our temptation is to build on our jobs, our investments, our kids' successes, our own successes, our degrees, our advancements, what we drive, what, where we live, what we do, the vacations we take, to all give the appearance that we've done well and we've arrived. Those things are good, they are great gifts, but they cannot bear the weight of the purpose of life. They all crumble eventually. They all fall apart. The only one qualified to bear the weightiness of a purpose in life is God himself, our creator. We were created for his glory, and we were created to experience God's glory in that way, experiencing what his, a relationship with him does for us, how it grants this peace, this contentment, this quietness of life, a purpose in life, a journey of life, a destination, life, all of that. It's, 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 it's the glory of God seems to be something about also the presence of God. Because that's why the tabernacle was among the people, to help them realize that God was among them. Remember when God first came down? We saw in Exodus a cloud covered Mount Sinai, and the mountain shook. And the people were scared to death. Yet they were fascinated at the same time. They were drawn, and yet... They stayed distant. In fact, they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were full of the awe of God. They were drawn to it, but they dared not come close. The best I can, little elementary illustration is with the first time you're, going to, you're tall enough to ride a roller coaster. You know what that's like? And you're with your friends. You got to act cowardly, but you're scared to death inside. And you hear people screaming, and you know it's going to be terrible, and you don't want to be cowardly, so you get in line, and you say, I can't, I can't, I can't, but I have to, I have to, I have to. And it's like that, that tension back and forth, I can't, I must, I can't, I must. And you finally get on, you do it, and you can't stop. Let's do it again. That's what it is to come nearer the radiance and the glory and the majesty of God, that once once you get close, like you dare not, but once you get a taste of his glory in your life and you experience it, oh, God, give me more. Give me more. I want more of you. We are also created to be reflectors of God's glory. We're familiar with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what's that mean? We were created for God's glory, as we said. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They enjoyed the perfect glory, radiance of God. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. There was no sin. It was a perfect existence. We don't know for how long. Maybe it was an hour. Maybe it was weeks or months. Who knows? We don't know. 
But eventually, they ate the forbidden fruit. And immediately something happened. In that moment, God's glory was sacrificed for self-glorification. That's what sin is about. That's what it does. It robs from God's glory so that I can be more glorious. We were created for glory. And if we're not going for God's glory, we'll be going for our own glory. It's one or the other. It's like the, those who were building the Tower of Babel in, in Genesis. Do you remember the first line? Here they were building a, 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 a tower to reach heaven. And it says, let us make a name for ourselves. That is the essence of a sinful life. We are name makers by our sin nature. And when we are baptized into Christ, we are saying, I'm done with that. I am crucifying my self-glory. And we are resurrected for God's glory. We are dying to self-glorification. There's only one, because there's only one worthy of bearing the weight of my life. And so hungering for glory, hungering for glory is a good thing. But whose glory is the question? And if it's not God's glory, your life will crumble in time. And you will face an eternity in big trouble. The bottom line is, we reflect God's glory. We don't produce it. We simply reflect it. Remember Moses, those of you familiar with the account, Moses came down from Mount Sinai after meeting with God, and his face was so radiant, they had to cover it, because even reflecting his glory was too much for the people to bear. What was that like? Oh, that we would be a people that walk out of here this week, and no matter where we are, who we're with, everybody knows there is something different about us by the way we forgive, the way we love, the way we serve, the way we care about our families, the way that we interact in business. There's something different about us. It's because of God's glory. Well, there's some good news of glory. That's the mystery of glory. Now, just a few minutes on the good news of glory. Our text says that the cloud covered the tent. Covered. That Hebrew word is shek. For those of you who have studied uh, Exodus before uh, or the Old Testament, you've heard the word shekinah, referring to the glory of God. Shek is the Hebrew word that means to settle or to rest. So when the Ark of the Covenant was put there in the Holy of Holies, the glory of God settled there on the Ark of the Covenant. There was a glow. It settled. That was the Shekinah glory of God. It was portable. They moved that tabernacle as they went everywhere. Here God, here God, his glory settled among a sinful, stubborn people because he wanted them for himself. What a great God. Something transcendingly happened, transcendingly happened that day and glory filled the temple. So much so that even Moses could not go into the tabernacle. Did your mom have weird sayings? My, my mom did. I think about them every now and then. And getting ready for this, I thought she would say, Ichabod. Ichabod. Now, now you hear it in there. Kabod. Hear that? That means glory. Kabod. Ichabod is no glory. Now, usually she's talking about the lumpy mashed potatoes. 
you know, something small and insignificant. And I was a little kid, I heard mom say, oh, Ichabod. Something in cir- some circumstance didn't go right, Ichabod. Well, she got that from 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, God's people are being invaded by the Philistine army. They come in and they do a terrible thing. They steal the Ark of the Covenant. Raiders of the Ark. And they take it away. And when that, when news came back that the Ark of God was gone, Eli the priest uh, fell off his chair and died. His son died as well. And his daughter-in-law died, and before she died, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Ichabod. The glory has departed. Now, sometimes we'll use that loosely, like when Peyton Manning leaves the Colts, all oh, the glory has departed, you know. Or maybe you use it in some trite, small ways. But you see, every time we choose sin, Ichabod. I'm not saying Jesus moves out of your life. I'm just saying the glory of God has been adversely affected and impacted. That's what this is saying. But there's good news. In spite of Israel's sin that continues to be compounded through the Old Testament scriptures, through their history, through the times of the prophets, when they not, would not take the prophet's word seriously about the judgment of God, something was coming. Something was going to happen. So Habakkuk 2 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We would experience glory. We would be able to touch glory. We would be able to see glory and understand glory in a new way. And so in the passing of time, John the Apostle would write, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the same word, dwelt among us. What a fascinating occasion in history. Jesus revealed God's glory. That's what he did when he came to be among us. Jesus revealed God's glory. Glory came to him as a baby. We could say that God, show us your glory. He says, I have, and glory passed by us in the form of a baby. We can now touch glory and hold glory and rock glory and listen to glory and follow glory and surrender to glory. What a God like this to come among us and live in our shoes. We, John would go on to say, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Before the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so your Son may glorify you. What an odd way to glorify your Son, by allowing Him to be beaten and bruised and spit on and falsely accused And finally crucified. Why? What an odd way to show glory. It's all because of the prayer Jesus prayed before the cross in John 17. Listen to what he says. It's stunning. I do not ask for these only. He's there talking about the 12 disciples. He says, I'm not praying for these only. But also for those who will believe. Who's that? 
us, right? It's you and me. I'm praying for them. Those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples' word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I am in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory, look at this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are. Jesus shares his glory with you and me. Do you understand what has happened to us? We have been born again. When Jesus was on the cross, God allowed all his wrath to be poured out of his own son. Why? So that you and I could share in the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is too big for me, friends. It's just too much for me. And so, that's the good news. We get to share in his glory. We get to share in God's glory. You ever go to a Pacers game? I'm usually in the blood, nosebleed, nosebleed session, you know, unless a good Christian brother gives me a ticket or something, you know. <laughs> Teasing, um, sort of. Um, the, uh, the, uh, but, you know, you watch those people that get to stand by the tunnel, you know. And if you're by the tunnel, you don't stand there. What do you do? You come home, hey, I got a high five from Old Depot, you know. Why? You're sharing in the glory of the team. That's what God does with us. He shares his glory with us. Because we want to touch glory. We want to connect with it. Anybody ever been a manager of the baseball team? You know, the team goes to state. And you get honored along with the team. You didn't score. You didn't even get to bat. And you get honored too being the little manager or bat boy. That's what God does with us. That's how we feel like. We feel like bad boys, you know? But we share in the glory of the king. The Bible says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You're going to glow one day. You're going to glow in the radiance of God's glory. A lot of you are dealing with all kinds of issues in your life today. Unbearable weights of health issues, family struggles, marriage struggles, cares and concerns about your kids. You're wondering about the world before them, what they're going to continue to grow up in and what it's going to be like for your grandkids, all kinds of things. It's an unpredictable world. It's a painful world. But friends, faithfulness is worth it. Live for the glory of God. Whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you're doing, it's all about God's glory. What rich words these are. The Bible says, and we all, Paul writes these words, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Is that happening to you? Are you being transformed? you sense that from one glory to another? It happens as we wait, as we watch, as we worship, as we serve, as, as we give, as we lay down our lives, as we share our testimony with other people that don't know him, all of that is a part of being prepared to one day glow and to hear finally at the end of time God's words to us, well done, good, faithful servant. It will be worth it all, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever struggle you have, it will be worth it. 
But you know how you get to the end of life hearing well done? You start with today. We start with today so that when we go to bed tonight, we can think back of our day and say, you know, I think God would say to me today, well done. I don't mean that egotistically. I don't mean that we're not aware of our frailty and our sin. I'm just saying we ought to be able to lay down every day. You know, you know I, I think I lived in the presence of God today. I sensed him. I did my best to live for him today. Well done. Otherwise, we'll be shuddering in his presence. We're not for the blood of Jesus. Because the wrath of God due upon us was put on his son that we might share in his glory and one day hear God's well done only because of the blood of Jesus poured out for us. You know, the selfie, it's the modern day self-portrait, right? All you need to be is I'm a narcissist with a smartphone. And that's basically the problem with the world, right? It's been a selfie world ever since the Garden of Eden. And we know it. We're too familiar with it, right? Let's lay it down, friends, brothers and sisters. Let's continue to lay ourselves down, whatever your life looks like. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's only about one worthy of our praise because he is radiantly beautiful and glorious. And if we can learn to live that way, man, that's, that's what we hunger for, more of that. Every day, soli deo gloria. Glory to God alone. And so our Father, as we worship today, remind us of your radiance, your sheer beauty, Strike us again, Father, in a way that brings a kind of silence followed by words that speak your name. To God be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.